This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Yes, it is. It's a podcast and you love it. Right now I'm joined by Dr. Christina Russellman from the Department of Geology and Marine Sciences, well the two departments. Uh, Morena to you, good morning. Uh, Morena, Jamie, thanks for having me. You are more than welcome, you are more than welcome. Um, Thirst for Knowledge uh, is happening tonight, the latest one, um, and this is yours of course. How warm is too warm for Antarctica? Three million year old lessons in a higher CO2 world. Uh, Doomsday stuff. Oh, it's not doomsday. It's, uh, it's, I call it inspirational. Inspirational. Good. We need to get inspired. We really, really do. Um, first off, though, um, uh, we'll talk about you, yourself. What brought you to Otago? Ah, so um, the short story is my husband, actually. Ah. So my husband got a, a job down here in the geology department. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer story is that I had been working in the Antarctic um, during my PhD and had made some really wonderful connections with New Zealand's incredible Antarctic community. Yeah. And so when he was offered a job down here, we looked at the landscape in New Zealand and thought, gosh, there is no better place in the world for me to be doing um, polar science, yeah. to be um, looking to understand how Antarctica's oceans have changed. And so I felt re- really privileged that we had the chance to move. Um, nice. So we... Spent a couple of years, him living down here and me living back in the U.S. And then um, the Departments of Geology and Marine Science and the Division of Sciences um, made a space for me to come here. And ah. I've been um, joyfully teaching and doing <laughs> research um, ever since. Yeah, you're a little bit closer to Antarctica than you would be if you were still in Stanford, right? Yeah, very much so. <laughs> yep. Just yep. just a tad. Oh, so you spent a lot of time at McMurdo and then went over to Scott and hung out with our people there? Yeah, and you know, I've actually also been down with the um, the Korean Antarctic program. Mm. So one of the, um, I guess one of the challenges and exciting opportunities about uh, specifically working in the Southern Ocean, if you live in New Zealand, is that we don't have a dedicated national icebreaker. Yes. Um, so I've had yes. opportunities to collaborate with other um, other national programs uh, to sort of move New Zealand into that space. Yeah, why don't we? Why uh, don't we? Well, we're... Um, Small but mighty. A small but mighty. Yeah, but we can yeah. send fishing fleets down there. Why can't we get an iceberg? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, actually, um, I'll say, I think um, the New Zealand Navy is working on an ice-capable vessel that they are designing mm. to have scientific capabilities. So nice. Might not be too far in our future. Yeah, well, our Navy, you know, we don't really have a defense force, do we? We have, we have a monitoring force. Yeah. yeah. Well, and an investigation Too many force. toothfish. Taking too <laughs> many toothfish. Uh, anyway, let's move on. Um, you are a paleo-oceanographer. What is that? Uh, so being a paleo-oceanographer is like being a modern oceanographer. Yeah. Um, except we are using the uh, materials that collect at the bottom of the sea mm-hmm. as our scientific instruments. Yeah. Um, so instead of really studying the water, you're studying the, the mud that once <laughs> exactly. So I, I study the mud that was once um, the suspended floor. in the water. Yeah, yeah, suspended and you know um, layers. Floors, yeah, and rough. yep, and that's stacked yeah. up in layers. And yeah. um, and you know the particles that accumulate at the bottom of the seafloor, uh, those are really. Um, like what's down there is really tightly related to what's happening in the ocean above them. So yeah. they end up being really great recorders um, mm-hmm. of, of course. how the ocean has behaved in the past. Yeah, nice, nice. Um, do you know this is a? I know this is a silly question, but I, I w- always think about it with anyone that does any paleo work. Do you get uh, annoyed with the paleo diet, and do people bring that up <laughs> to you uh, if they don't know what you do? Um, I can honestly say nobody has ever brought the paleo diet cool. up 
to me. So, uh, so you're the first. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> finally, the first <laughs> at something. Right, three million is the magic number we're talking about here. Um, so let's go back to the last stage of the Paleocene, uh, the Piochinia uh, age. I hope I got that right. Close enough, though, right? What was the world like back then? Ah, okay. So the Piacenzian. Um, Piacenzian. There we this, go. It's this no, magic near. little time. Um, that's the so so right now. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the long answer. Yeah, good. So I hope you're right. Um, yeah, I'm ready. So obviously we are on an Earth right now where human activity is pumping a ton of greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, today we're sitting at. Oh, I think it's something maybe 416 or 418 parts per million. Wasn't it longer? We were in the 300s. Atmospheric <laughs> CO2. Exactly. In fact, it was 2013 yeah. when we first passed that threshold yeah. um, above 400 parts per million. And I say first, um, obviously, the planet's been warmer in the past. Obviously, greenhouse mm-hmm. gases have been uh, at higher concentrations in the atmosphere in the past. Um, but 2013 was the first time since the Piacenzian. So the first time in three million years yeah. that the atmospheric composition had exceeded 400 parts per million of and, CO2. And let's remember the rise from 1950 to now has been such a, it's, I mean, it's a straight line. It, it, not only is it a straight line, it's a, a line um, of increasing yeah. uh, steepness. Right? Yeah. So, so, so. Each year, proportionally, we put even more in than we yeah, have the previous year. Yeah, that's right. Year. So even if we have been higher in the past, that was over a long period of time that build-up happened. Yep. Because through natural causes. We're looking at volcanoes, things like that, right? Um, so, um, so the argument of, oh, it's been like that before, so it's going to be like that again. It's just a natural cycle. The cycle doesn't work like that. No, and and in fact, so being there's nothing about um, there was nothing about our precursor climate, nothing about the climate before the industrial revolution mm-hmm. that suggests we should have gone anywhere above about 280 parts per million CO2. Right, so so that would be um, sort of the peak in our natural cycle, um, and the idea that we've Manipulated or engineered the atmosphere to have a combina- uh, composition not seen in three million years. So that's you know well before humans evolved. That's the planet was a very different place then. Well, I mean around around that age is where they they think maybe Homo the genus Homo began, right? Yep, yep. So that so that's our genus, um, and and possibly associated with that little warm blip. Um, mm-hmm. But certainly, modern humans were nowhere on the horizon. Yeah, no, the last totally time not. the atmosphere had this much CO two in it. Yep, yep, that's right, that's right. Um, and so, I mean, but the temperatures were higher then, maybe two to three degrees higher than pre-industrial levels. Yep. Um, so maybe like one point five difference now or, or two. Um, so, I mean, is it just a matter of the fact that we pumped so much in there so quickly that um, we should be higher, but we just the the planet just hasn't caught up? Yep, that's exactly what it is. And in fact, the ocean is doing us a big service right now in that it sucks about half the anthropogenic CO2 that we put into the atmosphere, gets sucked right down into the ocean. Yeah. Now, that, that has pretty severe consequences for the ocean yeah. from the perspective of acidification. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means that, that our experience of climate change mm-hmm. due to um, sort of human-produced greenhouse gases has been buffered, right? So it's being buffered by yeah. the natural system right now. Uh, but eventually the capacity of the ocean to keep sucking that CO2 um, out of the atmosphere, it, it will use it up. 
you know, yeah. will be reduced. And then we'll, um, we can actually flip a switch where the ocean starts to release CO2 into the okay. atmosphere. So that, so that would, um, you know, really amplify what so far has been um, a system that hasn't responded as dramatically as, you know, rightly so, we deserve it to. So it's like when a tree dies. Yeah. 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 Um, how annoyed are you at the Australian government right now who are trying to take the um, the Great Barrier Reef off the endangered list <gasps> oh. for tourist reasons? Yep. Um, <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Yeah, I'm not going to commit to being annoyed with the entire Australian government, um, but oh, I but be. I do I do feel as though one of our biggest challenges from a, uh, an environmental management perspective is that um, the election cycles for politicians aren't operating on the same cycles as the changes that we're confronting. Yeah, so, that's right. Yeah, and, so, and so it's hard to develop um, the political will. Well, politics has become a job. Politics has become a job. Um, and I think some People of the changes that, that we'll need to make are, you know, there, there'll be some pressure points. There'll be some, some pinch points. And it's really tough to incentivize somebody who's invested in keeping their job mm-hmm. um, to, to develop policies that are a little bit painful. Statue levels were lower then um, in the time period we're talking, but the planet was warmer. Um, so there must so the, so there's other factors going on here, right? So there's other gases. Yeah, what well, so, so there are other gases. I, th- I think from the perspective of um, of the Pliocene, you know, we have shot past 400 parts per million in eight years. Yeah, right. Well, so so, so the system, yeah. Saying, so yeah. essentially, the system just hasn't caught up yet. Yeah. How do we know all of this? Ooh, um, so the thing I love the very most in all of science Mm -hmm. is the idea that there are materials um, that accumulate through time and then they're stored forever, right? So for me, it's seafloor sediments, um, but people also use ice cores, people use tree rings, people take cores of big giant head corals, um, Mm -hmm. and each of those archives... um, contains measurable properties. So it might be the chemistry, it might be uh, the microscopic fossils that um, accumulate in the sediment. Yeah. Uh, it might be just counting the thickness of rings um, and the frequency of, of dense intervals and less dense intervals. Um, each of those properties is something that we can relate back in a direct way to something about the climate or the environment that yeah. we want to know more about. Um, so we, so there are, we, we call those proxies, right? The proxy is the thing you can measure that you know you can connect to a past environment. Um, there are proxies for not everything, but almost everything yeah. that you might care to reconstruct. And there are dozens or hundreds of scientists out there at any given moment hunting for new proxies that they can use. So... Um, you ask about CO2. When I was a PhD student, the proxies we had for reconstructing CO2, um, they were complex and they were, um, and there weren't a great number of them. Yeah. Um, and the number of parameters we know we can measure now to reconstruct CO2, it, it's, you know, it's something everybody cares about. Yeah, yeah, And so yeah. everybody is working toward that. So in sediment, it's not like when you're doing ice cores, you're not getting air bubbles. Nope. So so those ice core air bubbles are the most, I would even not call those a proxy, right? So because yeah. um, so ice cores, they trap tiny little pockets of air, and then those pockets of air are encapsulated inside the frozen water. Um, those are essentially fossil atmosphere, yeah. right? So you can yeah. go back and, and pop your super ultra clean needle into one of those ice bubbles and extract that gas and that is the composition of the atmosphere when that snow fell 
wherever it accumulated. Yeah, which is right. amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, science is quite incredible. So, when, so oh, those, so those ice cores take us back um, only 800,000 years. Yeah. Which yeah. is, a, that's a big number, and I know that it's, um, you know, man, you really have to start thinking like a geologist to mm-hmm. wrap your head around times that are that long, that, that stretch that far outside of human experience. Um, but taking us back 800,000 years, you know, the highest levels of CO2 we see in those ice cores are, you know, right around 280 parts per million. So you really have to get back into the sedimentary record to find a climate that's similar to what is forecast. Yeah. Are you, when you're, when you're ice drilling uh, over the continent and not just over ice sheets, mm-hmm. are you, you're, you're hitting bedrock? Uh, so I myself have never been involved in ice drilling, but yeah. um, but there are projects that will drill clean down to bedrock. Yeah. So are yep. they are they finding fossilized wood? Fossilized, Ooh, you know, other you know, I so I this don't. A, now well, I know we're getting yeah, off topic here. No, I don't know. <laughs> um, so so what I do know is that um, there have been efforts in the past to drill into some of the really fast moving ice streams in yeah. West Antarctica. Yeah. And what they find. Um, at the bottom of those, so they find essentially former marine sediments um, mm-hmm. that they can date. And yeah. some of those um, suggest that the, the big blanket of ice over West Antarctica, so that one's a little bit thinner, it's about uh, a kilometer thick, whereas East Antarctica has a blanket about three kilometers yeah, thick. Yeah, yeah. Um, right, so that that kilometer of ice over West Antarctica, um, there, are, there are fossils, microscopic fossils under yeah. there that tell us that probably though that ice sheet was greatly reduced in size or potentially completely absent um, at, at past warm intervals that didn't reach the, the um, level of warmth and the level of CO2 we're at now. So maybe a million years ago, we had yeah. a wholesale retreat of the West Antarctic yeah. ice sheet. Yeah, so you look at it. And, 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 of course, this is a time when Antarctica was essentially where it is now, but at one stage it was way up at the yeah. equator. I, actually, so Antarctica has been where it is now for almost 80 million years. Yeah, yeah. And, and when Antarctica ended up there, it didn't have any glaciers on it. No, you know, it was like tropical, right? 34 million years ago was really when those continental scale ice sheets first stabilized, right? Mm-hmm. So we've, we've, it's not a given that every bit of land in a polar region always has to be glaciated. Yeah. Um, it's actually a, a reasonably unusual configuration for our planet to have both poles hosting large continent-scale ice sheets. Are you dating these proxies, some of the proxies, and is, isn't it ironic that you're dating them with a different type of carbon isotope? Ah, right. So um, so we definitely need to figure out the age of things. Yeah. Um, the, that carbon isotope system is really super for um, things that are about back to about 50 million years old. Okay. You get too much older, or not, sorry, 50 million. I've totally misspoke, 50,000 years old. Okay, so that's right. not very long at all. So it's not very long at all. You know, it sort of gets us partway back, um, I guess, into the last major glaciation mm-hmm. and then a little bit older than that, right? So in the build-up to the last glaciation. Um, but carbon-14, radiocarbon, sometimes mm-hmm. people call it, um, yeah. it it doesn't stick around for very long. Because it's radioactive, it yeah. decays over yeah. time. Um, and, and back about, you get about 50,000 years ago, and so much of it is decayed that it's almost undetectable. So um, from there, you have to jump into either other um, radiogenic isotope systems or isotopes that have radioactive decay. And we know what the um, sort of the clocks are on yeah. all of those um, isotope systems. And then we also use things like, you probably know this, um, the magnetic pole yeah. for Earth 
flips direction periodically. That's right, it does. Yep. It does. And so, you know, right now, um, we would consider ourselves pointing south, right? So the, the pole is magnetized away from New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, but at at times in the past, and we have we've used those other radiogenic systems to um, to know precisely when those times are. The whole um, the whole magnetic field has flipped, and yeah. so we can look at um, rocks. We can look at the way tiny particles of magnetic magnetic particles of sediment align themselves like itty bitty compass needles on the seafloor, um, and just track those reversals. Of wow. Earth's pole. Um, That's amazing. Until time. Yeah, there's big conspiracy theories around Earth's pole slipping at the moment. It's mm-hmm. quite funny to watch. Um, right, one, one of the other things that is really important, because we're talking about cores and samples and things like that, but uh, um, ocean currents, uh, ocean circulations, how do we know what they were doing back in the day? How, how can we tell? Right, so there are, um, I'm going to really do a deep dive here because this is one of the things I love the very most. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of different ways you can tell. Um, if you're interested in what's happening uh, in terms of your surface ocean currents, right, so these would be the currents that are moving warm water around the surface ocean, like the Gulf Stream that keeps uh, Great Britain warm. That's right. It's coming yep. from the Caribbean, going up. Yeah. If it wasn't so, there, it'd be frozen. So those um, those bodies of water. You know, we have warm waters, we have cool waters. Here off the coast of Otago, we have water that's a little bit warmer than it rightly ought to be because the Southland Current bends around our coastline, right? Mm-hmm. But if you sail 20 kilometers offshore, you get into a different colder water mass. Um, so each of those um, water masses has properties that are desirable for different kinds of organisms, yeah. right? So you see different stuff living in the warm current than you do in the cooler water next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those things are these microscopic organisms um, that are really sensitive to their environments. Yeah. So those will um, grow in the surface ocean. If a current migrates really far north, then the population of things that live in that warm current will also migrate really far north, and so they end up in sediments further to the north, and cold things replace them in your location. Yeah. If the current migrates south, then likewise they'll carry those warm things down south quite close to Antarctica. And so that's one of the things, it's one of the tools that we've used, just tracking those fossils migrating northward and southward. We've used that to reconstruct what's happening in the surface ocean. Yeah, and we see that live now with La Nina and El Nino, um, and we've got really warm climates down here. Sometimes we'll get big kingfish. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly exactly that principle. Yeah, but but on a longer and more at a microscopic level. At a microscopic level. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, you're getting these massive core sediments, though, right? I mean, they're long, they're huge, and then how are you breaking them down to find these things? Ah, so... um, So I've been on, at this point, three of these major international ocean drilling expeditions, right? So so right now, New Zealand is a member of the International Ocean Discovery Program. Um, This is a program that takes, that constantly has these massive, purpose-built, scientific um, research drill ships sailing around the ocean, um, collecting core samples, right? So um, the ship that I've been on, I think the the deepest we've ever drilled is about 400 meters. Um, yeah. There's another ship that, that's working off Japan right now that's drilled uh, more than two kilometers into the seafloor. Um, wow. And so, so these um, these expeditions are, you know, you're so so you and and 24, 25 other scientists from 
all around the world from all of the um, the countries that are members of mm. IODP is the um, the acronym that we use for the International Ocean Discovery Program. Yeah. So you um, get selected. Uh, through an application process to contribute some specific expertise to this team. Yeah. Everybody comes together. You move on to this drill ship where you live for two months. Right. So these expeditions are all eight weeks or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're working in two shifts, 24 hours a day, to um, to collect and describe these things from the seafloor. So over the course of an expedition, you'll see hundreds of meters of cores. Right. And and for every core comes up from the deep sea, um, it gets scanned, so you know some things about it, um, you know, things like its color and, and its density and its magnetic properties. Mm-hmm. Um, they get split, and then when they're cracked open, you see these layers of history that are just stacked up. And so each of us on the ship, um, you always have something you're really excited about. You know, so when you apply to sail, it's yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that ship is going somewhere where you'll collect material that um, answers a question that's burning in your heart. <laughs> but, you know, you're also answering questions that are burning in the hearts of 24 other people. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so everybody um, on that ship, you know, you're, so you're working midnight to noon or you're working noon to midnight. Um, in your off time, you're talking to all of these other people. You're making new scientific friends, new research connections, um, and, and developing these slates of clever plans to take away and then you know you work together for decades yeah it's amazing it's amazing yeah dr claire concurrin over at the otago museum was recently on a ship and she was there as the communications manager essentially i think so yep. yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're it's it's pretty um they're pretty incredible expeditions and in fact um when those drill ships go to sea, so the Joides Resolution is the, the that, ship that I've... Yeah, and that's yeah. the one that Claire yep, was yep, on the as well. Yeah, was on, yeah. So, so they do really, um, really excellent events. And, and for, you know, for school teachers, they'll do... Um, they have opportunities for classrooms to call into the ship and get tours of the drilling operations and yeah. talk, the, to talk to the scientists. I talked to Claire yeah. on the ship. Yeah, it's, it's really very that was cool. Great. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, so it's... Um, the Joides Resolution website will show people how to, to connect with that. So available for community groups, available mm. for classrooms, available for museums. Last time I was on the ship, we did a great event with the Otago Museum. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just really, um, candidly, that program has changed the way we understand how Earth operates. That's you know, amazing. It's, it's the, um, it's scientific drilling is the way we confirmed plate tectonics. Yeah. Um, yep. It is the way we confirmed that an asteroid impact was the thing that caused the dinosaurs so to go extinct. You're in the Gulf of Mexico. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. drilling into the Gulf of Mexico is, is is how we found the definitive evidence that in fact there was an asteroid that struck that place. Um, wow. It's it's how we discovered that there are ice ages going beyond sort of the last. Uh, I'm gonna maybe forty. Uh, 400 million years, or sorry, 400,000 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really, really fundamental knowledge about Earth has come from ocean drilling. Amazing, amazing. Uh, and so you'll be talking a little bit about that tonight? I will, yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, so, and what else will we, will we be hearing? Well, so so um, my job tonight is going to be both a little bit of a show and tell about how scientific ocean drilling works, right? So um, help folks who don't, think about this stuff in their day-to-day lives, understand where the evidence for our knowledge of 
past climate change comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think my plan is to sort of tick off five big take-home messages about how Antarctica has behaved um, and, and the role, the way its um, role in the climate system has changed during past warm climates. Yeah. So if you're a skeptic, please go. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really important that you do. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have to say, I um, if you look at the news especially over the last handful of maybe two, three, four years, you see these extreme weather events. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, like, fires in places that look have at, never had at, fire. Look at Canada right yeah, now. Yeah, like, Those look at heat Canada waves. right now. Um, look at the, like, the killer monsoons. Look at um, mm -hmm. Australia last year. Yeah. Um, look, at, look at our fires and floods here in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I, like, I don't love it because it sounds glib, but you sometimes hear people talk about um, global weirding instead of global warming. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's it's becoming really, um, you know, people, uh, I, I think the conversation has really shifted away from is global warming real? Like, are, like are humans oh, really yeah, influencing it or are yeah. they not? And it's shifted toward... Um, Reasonable people, all of whom recognize that this is a challenge we're facing yeah. as a global community, but also as individual nations, um, what what pathways will we commit to to changing it? And there's and there's a lot of very reasonable debate to have about how we legislate solutions, how we encourage the technological developments we'll need to get ourselves out of this. Mm -hmm. um, like like well-meaning people can debate that, but I but. I think there are just, like, it's a lot harder. It becomes harder every year to look around yourself and say, this is normal, this isn't yeah. something that humans have contributed to. It needs to start at the grassroots, though. It needs to start at the ground level because if people aren't ready to accept it, then you're not going to get any change. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Well, um, thank you for coming in. The talk is tonight. First for knowledge, how warm is too warm for Antarctica? Three million years old lessons in a higher eight, uh, CO2 world from 5.30 through to 6.30 at Umbrellos um, which is a lovely place for these informal like you know it's not structured lecture time it's, uh, it's nope, a great it's, chat it's grab a beer grab a yeah, pint and we'll yeah. have a chat about about Antarctica and well, climate change thank you so much for coming in this morning it's been an absolute pleasure have a wonderful day and thanks for having me have Jamie. a good time tonight it's been a great conversation <laughs> cheers <laughs> see ya here's Summerside that was a f***ing Radio 1 podcast, mate. There's heaps more at r1.co.nz.